Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Hello, my name is Scott Blevins. I'm part of the pastoral team here at Garfield Memorial Church. It is so good to be here with you today. Christmas is... Christmas is over. I know, that's an awful way to say that, but, but it, it, it is. Christmas celebration has passed. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, Christmas Day was like a whirlwind experience. Uh, my brother and sister and I would be up super, super early because we wanted to open presents, and we would wake up like earlier than we ever would get up at any other time by ourselves, like 6 a.m. or earlier than that. I never could understand why my parents were always so tired on Christmas morning till I realized that for reasons that shall go unstated at this time, they were up half the night or more, uh, you know, on Christmas Eve night. So we would do our family thing, and then after that, we would go to my dad's mom's house, and we would do Christmas there with my dad's side of the family, cousins and aunts and uncles, and then and have lunch, and then from there, we would go to my mom's side of the family, my mom's mom's house, and do Christmas there with cousins and aunts and uncles there. And then we would get back to our house really, really late at night. And my older brother, at some point during that process, after we got back, would always put on a very sad face and say, Christmas is over. And, and if my brother ever happens to watch this, I hope I did you justice on that. So Christmas Day is past. Another Christmas Day is behind us. And yet we continue in our Church at Home for the Holidays series. We've talked about how Jesus is, another name for Jesus was Emmanuel, Jesus, one of Jesus' other names. And Emmanuel means God with us. And we've seen how God is with us on our, on our journey seeking and following after God. God is with us in our suffering. God is with us us in presence with as in as in being physically with us not gift giving and today we're talking about God with us again God with us in rest and i suspect if you're anything like me and my family now or me and my family later you need some rest right now God is with us in rest i'm going to be reading two different passages one a little longer and one very very short as we jump into this God with us in rest thing so first reading is from hebrews chapter 3 part the end of chapter 3 and beginning of chapter 4 it's a little longer scripture reading than than we normally use, but I couldn't figure out what to cut out, so I'm just reading the whole thing. So here we go. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, Pause, hit the pause button here. Not literally if you're watching this on demand. If you hit the pause button, you won't hear what happens next. But uh, we're going to stop because this portion of Hebrews is actually a quote from the Psalms, Psalm 95. 
And, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar or a Greek scholar. I depend on other people who are Hebrew and Greek scholars to help me understand Hebrew and Greek. But the phrase I am about to read um, this morning is going to be different than any English translation of the Bible that you have. I checked like 14 or 15 different translations. Every single translation mistranslates this passage, not only in Hebrews, or not only in the book of Hebrews where it's written in Greek, but also in the Psalms where it was originally written in Hebrew. And in both places, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, English translations, they put a negative in this next phrase. It will either be a not or a never. And the gist of those translations says, you've been bad, you people of Israel, and you have gone astray from God's ways, so God swears in his anger that he will not allow you to enter into his rest. It's a mistranslation. I like to say, I'm not, I'm not a, a Hebrew scholar or a Greek scholar. Jeffrey Benner is a Hebrew scholar. He helped me see this. And, and it's, it's in some respects mind blowing if you're like a Bible nerd like I am. So, so I'm going to read what it really says. And God says, so I swore in my anger, if they will enter my rest, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You have come, we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who had heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not with, the, it was not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness, and to whom God did swear that they would never enter his rest? If not to those who disobeyed, see, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I swore in my anger, if they will enter my rest." And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And hear these quick words from Luke chapter 2. After Mary had given birth to Jesus, the shepherds had received the birth announcement from the angels and come to see the baby Jesus and his mother there in the stable. And they left praising God. And this is Mary's response. Luke chapter 2 verse 19. And Mary was preserving all these things, pondering in her heart. God is with us in rest. God is with us in rest. So we're going we're gonna to move through this pretty quickly here today, the first part, because the first part doesn't need a lot of explanation. The first part is really this. Why do we need to rest? 
Now, I'm not going to get into biological stuff. I'm not even going to get into psychological stuff. Uh, there are biologists and, and anthropologists and psychologists and all of those folks out there to do that kind of thing. I'm going to be talking about spiritual stuff. Spiritually, why do we need to rest? As part of our life of, life of faith and following God, why do we need to rest? Well, the first reason we need to rest is because God commands it. That's the simplest explanation. That doesn't necessarily help us do it, um, but God commands it. We know, one of the Ten Commandments, in the same list as don't have any other idol, don't have any idols, don't have any other gods before me, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, God said, rest. Six days you have to do your labor. The seventh is a Sabbath. Keep it holy to the Lord On the seventh day, cease from all your labors. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You shall shall not do any work. Rest. God commands rest. Now, we live in a culture and in a country that is addicted to work, that is addicted to busyness, that, that identities are formed by achievement, that growth is always good, that expansion is always good, that why should we do less when we can do more? And if, if this amount is good, this amount of work is good, this amount of work is even better. We have so much emotional and identity and psychological investment and relational investment and social investment tied up into work and accomplishment and growth and getting things done. So maybe that command of God isn't a burden if we hear it in this way. If God commands us to rest, then I'm free to rest. I don't have to feel guilty about resting. I don't have to feel guilty about taking a Sabbath, a day of the week where I cease from all my labors. God commands it. It must be okay. So that's one reason we rest. God commands it. Here's another reason we rest. Jesus calls us to rest. Jesus calls us to rest. He said it this way. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's an invitation that Jesus has. He could see people. He came. He was born among us, lived as one of us. He was human like we are. He saw people working. He worked himself. He was living out of the curse that God had placed on Adam so many years ago that it's going to be by the sweat of your brow, by the toil of your labor that you eat. Jesus saw people heavy laden. Jesus saw people burdened. He experienced that himself. And yet he said to them, come to me. Come to me, those of you crushed by the weight of the responsibilities of this world, by the work that you have to do, come to me and I will give you rest. Again, we in this culture, in 21st century United States culture, we need to hear these words. There is a very real sense that obviously work is important. God gave Adam and Eve work to do in the garden before the fall. And and I hate to disappoint you if you're expecting heaven to be some sort of eternal vacation. If you read the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about people going to and coming from Jerusalem to do business. So there's going to be work to do in heaven as well. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But the reality is, the truth is that in the midst of all of this work, there has always been a command and a call to rest rest, to cease our labors and to rest. And we need to hear that 
maybe no other country and culture in the history of this world needs to hear that command and that call more than 21st century United States of America. We need to rest. We need to rest. But why? Why do we need to rest? Surely, Pastor Scott, surely there's more to it than just God told us to and Jesus invites us to. Why do we need to rest? And that's what this passage in Hebrews and that passage in Psalm, Psalm 95 is about, is about the why of our needing to rest. Hear this. Now, I'm going to warn you folks uh, in the tech booth and also online that I'm going out of order on my slides right now. So, so just be aware of that. I'm going to go back to that verse where I explained before it was mistranslated in, in every English translation. God said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger if they will enter my rest. So here's the cultural and historical background of that. Moses, called by God and led by God, was leading as God's guy. He was leading the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. And, and it should have been a pretty short trip. You know, God took them by a detour because he knew they had some things to learn along the way. But, but the Israelites were so, so far out of God's way of thinking and God's way of doing and God's way of living that it took them 40 years to take a journey that should have only taken a few months. And, and during that time, God did amazing, miraculous things for them. They were out in the wilderness where there was no water, and God took them to places where there was water. They were out in the wilderness where there were no places of water, and God provided for them by bringing water from a rock. They were out in the wilderness where there was no food. There were maybe a million or more people out there, and, 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 and God provided this manna that they didn't even know what it was, so they called it, what is it, which is the Hebrew word is manna, and God provided for them. And they said, this manna is really nice, but it'd be nice to have some meat as well well and so God sent quail more than enough an overabundance over and over and over and over and over again God provided for them but every time they hit a point of scarcity when no matter how much they worked no matter how much labor how much effort how much energy they put into it they were didn't have enough and they were afraid of running out and every time that happened they complained against Moses and they complained against God and they kept saying things like, man, we should have just stayed in Egypt. We were slaves, but at least we had plenty to eat. And God said, "Ah, what's going on? Why won't you just trust me? Why won't you just believe me when I tell you I'm your God? I'm not going to forsake you. I'm taking you to a land and a place of abundance. But I need you to trust me and believe me and depend on me. And the key that God gave them for that was Sabbath rest. It was rest. This passage in most English translations thinks it sounds like God is scolding and punishing his people for their, their complaining and disobedience and he's punishing them by denying them the opportunity to enter into his rest. You will not be allowed to enter into my rest because you didn't believe. But what God is saying here is saying if you would enter into my rest, then you would know my ways. If you would just stop striving so much and trying so hard and working so hard and trying to make all things happen on your ways, if you would just enter into my rest, then you would know my ways. But they would not. 
And so they never, they never entered into God's rest, so they never knew God's ways, so they never made it into God's promised land. God wasn't punishing them. God was pleading with them. God was angry. God, God, God swore in his anger, and God's swearing in his anger was not a curse upon the people. God swore in his anger, if you will enter my rest then you will know my ways and your hearts will not go astray anymore. This is why we need to rest so that we can know God's ways and we discover that as we rest. That word know there in both the Greek and the Hebrew is the same word that was used to describe sexual relations in the Hebrew scriptures. And Adam knew his wife Eve Abraham knew his wife, Sarah. It's it's an intimate, experiential knowledge. If we want to know God and know his ways, we need to cease from our labors and rest. And rest. Mary got this. Mary understood it. There she was. She'd done more work than anybody else that day. She had carried Jesus in her body, sustaining him with her breath and her food and her blood and her sweat and her tears, traveling cross country on the back of a donkey, giving birth in a stable with no medication to numb the pain. Talk about labor. Talk about stress. Talk about work. She had done a tremendous amount of work, more work than any other human being in bringing Jesus Christ into the world. And there she was resting when the shepherds showed up and said, these angels came to us. They told us about the Messiah here in a stable. Is it you? Is it him? Is this the baby? And Mary, you know, the, the shepherds, they were excited, understandably excited. And, and they couldn't, once they saw Jesus and they saw Mary and Joseph, they went out and they told everyone that they knew. But Mary, Mary continued in her rest. And the, the, the scripture tells us that she kept, some translations say treasured, but really the, the Greek word there has the sense of preserving She preserved all of these things. All of what things? All of these things. The visit of the angel to her, Joseph's threat to divorce her, and then Joseph's changing of heart after an angel visited him. This this unexpected and disruptive order from the emperor to travel across country, not having any place to stay, but now finding a quiet, warm stable, giving birth, and now these shepherds? coming from nowhere, but they knew a baby had been born. He was here. They knew this baby was the Messiah. They hadn't told anybody that. And she preserved all of these things in her heart, pondering them. That word ponder in the Greek, it, it, it really means throwing things together thrown together. It's a word used for, for, for conflict, for confrontation, for argument and discussion, throwing things together. She's had all of this stuff thrown at her. You know what we do so much in this country when we get all kinds of stuff thrown at us? We keep busy and we keep loud. 
We get busy so we don't have to deal with all that stuff that's, that's rumbling around inside of us. We keep the noise up. We keep the TV playing. We keep the movies going, the music going, the podcast going. Anything to drown out the noise of all of those things rattling around inside of us. And so they never get resolved. They never bear through fruit. But Mary, Mary preserved these things and she pondered in them. And the image we get is a picture not of Mary striving to make things happen, but of Mary at rest and allowing God to do His thing in her. Maybe that's why Mary, even more than any of the disciples, seemed to get Jesus' ways. And when all but one of them had run away to hide, Mary stayed with her son throughout the crucifixion, her heart not going astray. Because she rested. Because she rested. We need to rest. Through resting, our hearts stay true to God's ways. Through resting, we know God's ways. And rest, we have space to ponder all of those things that we preserve in our hearts. We need to rest. We do need to remember that rest is not the goal. Rest is not the goal. God did not create us so we could rest. Well, that's one of the things we do and one of the reasons God created us. Jesus didn't die just so we could rest. We have work to do. We have responsibilities, material responsibilities to family and friends and ourselves, spiritual responsibilities, responsibilities of faith. We have responsibilities. We have work to do, but they're not the goal either. Rest isn't the goal. When you die, you're not going to go to heaven and be on vacation forever. It's not going to happen. That's not what heaven is. But you're also not going to go to heaven and be slaves and working forever. There is a rhythm to life that is both work and rest. And the goal as we live in this rhythm that God has created of work and rest and work and rest and work and rest, the goal is that we draw closer to God and love and closer to the people around us in love. That we love God and we love our neighbors and we love ourselves. That's the goal. And we can't do that without work, but we also can't do that without rest. We need to rest if we're going to love God the way God wants us to love him. And if we're going to love each other the way God wants us to love each other, we need to rest. So here's the big question. Here's the $50 question. I've been asking a lot of questions. How do we rest? Particularly, how do we rest at home? Because I know there's some folks out there going, Pastor, you got to be nuts if you think, I got work I have to do at home. I got children I got to raise at home. I got children I got to clean and bathe at home. I got children that I have to educate at home. And I got a spouse that I'm looking after and they're looking after me and I've got friends. When am I supposed to rest? This is how and why we got to talk about this. There's no easy solution to that. And rest itself isn't easy. I find it ironic, and probably it was intentionally ironic, that the the writer of Hebrews said, make every effort to enter into rest. We we, We have to work at resting. Particularly in our culture, where rest is not... You know how hard it is to find a great story of rest? 
All of our great stories are about accomplishment and achievement, winning the game, winning the war, casting off this, you know, doing that, doing that, making the deal. All of our great stories are about action and activity and, and doing. Where are the great stories about rest? I got one. I'm going to tell it to you in a minute. But these are hard to come by because our culture doesn't value rest. Our culture values accomplishment and achievement and work. But we need to make the effort to rest if our work is going to bear fruit for the kingdom and our rest is going to bear fruit for the kingdom. So here's your church at homework for this week. And again, as with all of this church at homework stuff, it's a really good plan to not just do it for a week, but to make these part of your regular rhythms of life. And your church at homework for the week has to do with how we enter rest how we do it, and how we do it at home. One thing you need if you're going to rest is a tender heart. The writer of Hebrews says that over and over again, and, and part of it was in quoting that passage from the Psalms. What happened to those people and those children of Israel as they were heading to the promised land? It over and over again says their hearts were hardened. They had hard hearts. You can understand that maybe. They'd spent 400 years as slaves, beaten down and oppressed. It's difficult to trust coming out of 400 years of, and, 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 and how many generations of slavery and domination and abuse and mistreatment. But we need to have soft, tender hearts. We need to have hearts that can be touched by people around us, by God who is among us. Hearts sensitive to our needs and to the needs of others. Hearts that don't just say, I'm going to muscle on, I'm going to get through it. You know, I'm, I know it's pain, but there's no pain, there, no pain, no gain. I'm just going to work through the pain. I'm going to work through the chaos. I'm going to work through the turmoil. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to let this stop me. But we need to let it stop us. We need to stop and rest. We need to have hearts that are tender, not hearts that are hard. We need to allow things to penetrate us. And if, you've, if you're someone who has suffered under abuse and mistreatment in whatever form, whether it's bullying or domestic violence or, or workplace, you know, emotional abuse, whatever it is, and, and your heart has become hard just as a self-defense mechanism, um, I'm not saying those hurts and those wounds weren't real, but hardening your heart, it might work for a time, but in the end it will undo you. But if you allow yourself to feel you have a tender heart that feels the pain, then you'll have a tender heart that can also feel the joy and the happiness and the hope. We need to have tender hearts. Mary pondered all of those things in her heart. She couldn't let those things in if her heart wasn't soft and it wasn't tender. Tender hearts are essential to rest, and we also need to have faith Belief in God. I'm not talking about an intellectual belief. I'm talking about really trusting God. We need to believe God when he, t- when he tells us stuff. And if God says, work for six days and rest for one, that's good. That's what I want. It'll be okay. You won't, your life won't fall apart. The wor- universe will not stop functioning if you rest for a day. Your family's not going to fall apart if you rest for a day. Your life, your work is not going to fall apart if you rest for a day. And if you have yourself in a situation where if you rest, other things around you do fall apart, maybe they need to fall apart because you can't sustain that. 
There's the old story about the guy, I tell this one all the time, the, the tightrope walker going back and forth across the Niagara Falls on the tightrope and he puts a, takes a wheelbarrow and everyone claps and he puts rocks in the wheelbarrow and everyone claps. When he does it, he goes back, he goes out halfway and comes back and then he says, who, who thinks I can take a person in the wheelbarrow? Everyone, oh yeah, 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 we do, we do. And he says, who will get in the wheelbarrow? No volunteers. That's the difference between believing up here and believing in here. God's saying, get in the wheelbarrow. Let me take you into rest. It really will be okay. We've got to believe it. The children of Israel, they just didn't believe God. After all he'd done, they just couldn't bring themselves to trust what he said about his provision and his care. And so they couldn't rest. They couldn't rest. Rest takes effort. You've got to be willing to work at it. So far you're saying, Blevins, this is all very nice, but you haven't told me what to do. We're getting there. Rest takes effort. It won't be easy. Our culture pushes against it in some big ways. Very few people ever get praised for resting well. People get praised for a job well done. They don't get praised for, hey, nice nap, dude. Nice nap. I saw that nap. Well done. We don't get that. Rest is a shameful thing. It carries connotations of laziness and sloth. So work at it. Work at it. Here we go. Here we go. You're looking for something practical. Here it is. Start small. Start small. Take 10 minutes a day. That's all you can get. I hope you can take more than that. An hour. Shoot for that. An hour in the day. Here's the story about rest I wanted to tell you. Someone very close to our family, his name is Drew, just finished his basic training for Air Force Reserves. He was not entirely sure, and I got his permission to share this, he was not entirely 100% confident that that was where God wanted him doing this. But he went, and, and after the first week there, he was really not sure. It was really hard. It was really stressful. He was having real doubts. But he, he told me that they gave them an hour a day of free time, an hour a day. And he used his hour a day. See, very, he's a very competitive guy. He could have used that hour a day working hard, doing more exercises, training, reading manuals, all of the things to make sure that he passes tests, physical and mental and those kinds of things. But he took that hour a day and he sat in a corner reading the scripture because he was, in some respects, on the verge of falling apart on the inside because this was hard. This was hard. This was hard. And there was one day about a weekend when he was sitting in the corner reading his scripture during the rest time when another guy in his troop came up and started talking to him. He said, I notice you're reading the Bible. I know you said you were a person of faith. I used to be, but I'm not anymore. And he was talking about it. He said, but all I can see is, is that, that you, and he named another guy who was also a person of faith. He said, you're the only two that haven't broken down in tears. You're the only two that don't seem to be given in to the chaos and the anxiety and the worry and the fear. And whatever you've got, I want some of that. And Drew started talking to this young man and sharing his faith. And then after he talked to him for a while, Drew looked up and looked around and there were 20 other men listening to that conversation. And then in a few days, there were not only those 20 men that listening to Drew during that hour break, there were 20 more men listening to the other person of faith during that hour break. And they started two Bible studies in that group of trainees. And they were the only group in the whole basic training that had no one quit and leave. They scored the highest of any group. 
More importantly than that, they saw men commit their lives to Jesus Christ for the first time and recommit their lives to Jesus Christ, men who had fallen away. How did that happen? Because Drew rested. Drew rested. And it, and, and it wasn't a selfish rest. That's not the right way to say it. It was, it was a faithful rest. He wasn't going to the Bible saying, oh, I hope someone receives me reading my Bible. He was going to the Bible because he knew he needed it. He was seeking the rest of God for the turmoil that was going on inside him. And as he found that rest, others were drawn to him too and drawn to God through him because he rested. Now, don't get me wrong. If he hadn't been working during the other times, he needed, if he'd been a, a, a lazy, you know, lazy guy, <laughs> Words failed me. If he'd been a lazy guy and, and just spent all of his time quoting the Bible to other people without working hard at the drills and the exercises and all the other things, without helping his whole company be successful, if he hadn't been working faithfully, his resting wouldn't have amounted to anything. But if he had not taken that time to rest, if he had just worked and worked and, or just filled that time with noise of television or music or whatever, or conversation or laughter, then he wouldn't have borne that fruit either. It was the work and it was the rest. That's what he needed. Turns out that's what all of those men needed. They needed rest. They needed rest. God is with us. Jesus was born and came. Emmanuel, God with us. And one of the ways God is with us is in our rest. Find somewhere, even if you're so tired you can hardly stand up, if you fall asleep during your hour of rest, that's all right. If you are so busy and everything is so crazy right now that, that you go for days at a time when you can't find that rest, don't beat yourself up for that. Just look for that. Make that space. Find someone. Trade time with your partner, spouse. You know, trade time with parents or, or, or other folks that might be able to babysit even during a pandemic. Get some space. Get some time and rest. Don't feel guilty about it. Jesus invited you to it. God commands you to do it. And we need it. God is with us in our rest. In Jesus' name, amen.